Is that a jet engine crashing through the ceiling, or are you happy to see me? That's right, court is now in session. You're listening to Judge Movie with me, Judge Movie, the movie judge who judges movies. It's Ben Flanagan here, joined as ever by the cinema attorney, Elisha Izumi. How are you today? I'm all right, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm good, yeah. Um, so we've got a cult classic, uh, which I'm bringing up on a lot of charges. I'm, um, what, what have we got today? Uh, today we're going to be talking about Donnie Darko. Uh, yeah, as you say, the the cult classic. You've got you've got a problem with it. I was a little surprised you wanted to talk about it because I I'm a big fan of it. So we're going to be talking about that one today. It was when you were in the courtroom cafeteria, you know, just singing its praises. I th- I thought, you know what, this this thing's been getting away with stuff for far far too long. So we're going to talk about Donnie Darko's impact, its legacy the director's cut controversy and then talk a bit about the rest of richard kelly's strange short-lived career he's still going still kind of going he's a young guy he does hope yeah court is now in session So we're going to be having a full spoiler discussion of Donnie Darko. It's been out a very long time. I think we do, everyone knows a lot about it. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it before you listen to this. Sure. Do you know anyone that hasn't seen it? Um, I feel like even people that haven't seen it kind of know what it is by now, right? Um, So Donnie Darko, as you probably know, is about a troubled teenager who is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes after he narrowly escapes a bizarre accident. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal as Donnie Darko. Um, he meets a girl, Gretchen Ross, played by Jenna Malone. Um, you know, he's got a nice family dynamic. He's got teachers played by Drew Barrymore, who also produced the film. Um, it's kind of this metaphysical adolescent angst extravaganza. And... Yeah, it's one of the most overrated films of the 21st century. Um, I think you're hitting on it when you say it's got this adolescent angst and it's riddled with just childish pseudo-intellectual ideas that don't come to anything. Nothing in this film comes together at all. I th- I feel like this is one of those classic sort of IMDB movies from the mid-noughties that would be really high up and at age sort of 13... I'd be like, I need to watch everything on the IMDb Top 250. And so you end up watching films like Fight Club or Donnie Darko or American History X and feeling like these are the high art, the pinnacle of an American cinema. And actually they're all just sort of complete empty shells. And Donnie Darko, more even more so than the other two that have a certain sense of style and a, and a product of a time and a place, I think Donnie Darko is like bargain basement Bargain bucket? No, bargain bin. We got there. It's bargain bin, bottom bottom drawer stuff. Um, that yeah, I suppose you could watch it, but why would you? Wow, those are some really strong words from Judge Movie on Donnie Darko. Shit. Wow. Um, before we get into a proper defence about it, we could talk a little bit about the reputation it does have. So you're saying it does have this quite high status as a film you must see. Um, it came out at the beginning of the millennium. Um, didn't do very well at the box office, um, but its reputation grew on DVD and VHS rentals where it became very loved, very respected, and it went on the midnight movie circuit. Um, 
and yeah it kind of grew its audience grew it grew so much that the distribution company um re-released it re-released a director's cut which is unusual so they theatrically released a director's cut which didn't do very well either but you know that kind of cemented its reputation it, it's got this enduring cult love it's cemented its reputation as a deep movie with a lot going on and and i feel like they've they've managed to to really convince audiences of that it was a film that's began life at Sundance, I think where it had a sort of befuddled reaction. Because, like it or not, it is a sort of... Um, yeah, there is a lot going on in it. There's a lot to digest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would say that is a strength of the movie. I would say, you know, I, I do see all those things in it. You see them as sort of shallow, empty shell, as an empty shell of a movie. But I think those things are there that people think about, and uh, I enjoy it a lot. Um yeah but have you seen um yeah it was so successful it spawned a sequel a very belated sequel called s darker that really is a bargain bin it is yeah have you seen it i've not seen it okay i feel like that might be worth watching someday yeah we'll watch that and american psycho 2 and like there's probably more of those there's no fight club 2 but Uh, no it's interesting i'd be curious to watch those movies because it's then it's like what because they're usually made without the involvement of the original film- filmmakers from the original, so it's interesting to see what people think the first film, what what the first film is about, and what they put in, take from that to put into the sequel. Um, okay, so let's talk a bit about Donnie Darko. When did you first watch it? Uh, so I must have been fourteen or fifteen, and uh, the director's cut had done so badly on DVD that they were putting it out for free with the Sunday Times. Uh, so I got a copy of that uh, in one of those. Do you remember the sort of cardboard? Yeah, yeah. No, I've got one. I got the same one. Yeah. Um, I used to get loads of crazy movies, like um, loads of alien comedies, or like With Now and I, loads of classic British films. And so it was rare to get like an American movie with that. So I watched it, and I did find it very like beguiling and entrancing. And uh, obviously, the high school setting is something that I could easily relate to at that age. Um, and I found it big, but um, revisiting it, it just, it kind of seems like a bad reverse version of um, It's a Wonderful Life to me. Isn't that a strength of it, though? What, that it's a bad version of It's a Wonderful No, uh, yeah, I think Mike D'Angelo calls it It's a Miserable Life, um, and I think that's great. Yeah, that's very appealing, maybe more appealing to a teenage audience, but still definitely valid to think about Yeah. how you could make everyone, you know, you could make their life worse in every way. I think that's interesting. I think it is interesting, but it's just a shame that the movie's like such a mess around that. Every scene drags, drags. The the characters are so thinly drawn. If you, not just Donnie, but everyone around him is just completely one note. His dad's just this like Republican guy, like generic Walton's era dude. Uh, the the girlfriend is literally just sort of this simpering, like vaguely interested in him. Like, well, she's there's nothing really going on. Jenna Malone's great because she's got great presence, but she's not really doing anything. Uh, Drew Barrymore and the the chap that plays the science teacher are just both like unbearable in their scenes, which where they just deliver like this indecipherable like, exposition for so long. They're so bad talking about bloody Graham Greene, and it's just like who. We all know from Bonanza. No, we all know from Bonanza. Oh, it's not so bad. I disagree. They are like archetype. 
they're they're all playing character archetypes but i feel like they very strongly resonated when i first watched it and with many audiences and i think yeah the strength of the acting does does make those characters resonate in in it's definitely there's a lot of characters and they're all quite like colorful um but i don't think that there's actually much like to them and so when that it, it, everything there is is there to like validate what Donnie's up to. I feel, um, which means at the end with the final choice. So yeah. at the end when he's when he's uh, chosen to die rather than to save everyone else, I, I kind of don't really feel for the town at all. I don't really care that, about what's happening. I mean, I'm glad that Sparkle Motion survived, but you know. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get into the ending. Well, well, well should we get to we'll get to the end of it? Or should we not just say now what what happens in Donnie Darko? Um. Oh, so yeah, have we even talked about the rabbit or anything? Okay. So the plot sort of kicks off when uh, Donnie, who's a very troubled teenager, is sleepwalking and uh, in the middle of the road he comes across a six-foot rabbit who says that the world's going to end in... Eight days. Six hours, 42 minutes, eight seconds. <laughs> yes, a true fan. I'm a true fan. That knowledge is ingrained in me, I know. <laughs> I mean, I hope that's right. I think uh, that better be right because all the Donnie Darko fans of, of 2018 will will come for you. Anyway, um, so while that's happening, a jet engine comes through the ceiling. Hence my thing at the start. Right, it's all full circle. Um, and it would have killed Donnie had he not been out sleepwalking. And so he that sends him on this mystery. Where's this jet engine come from? Mm-hmm. Why did I survive? Yeah. How am I special? And um... and then, yeah, so in the next 28 days, either the world will end or he has to fix this sort of anomaly in time. And when he realises... A wrinkle. <laughs> a wrinkle in time. A wrinkle in time. Well, it's more than a wrinkle. The world will end if, he, if, not, if it's not solved. I'd call it a wrinkle. But... Okay. And um, he sees how life would be in this tangent universe in the next 28 days. But then he's brought to a point where he, he has to die. Yes, he, he chooses to kill himself by going back in time, back to, the... back to time and let himself be crushed by the jet engine. Yeah. I feel like that, that confused a lot of people. At, for A lot of people, the first time they see it, don't really understand that it's taking place in this tangent universe. Yeah. And that's what throws people. Yeah. But I think once you've, you've, you know it, it's kind of... It, it it makes sense. I feel like it's painfully clear how what's going on in the movie. I don't think it's painful. I think it's rewarding. Um, so uh, I think I watched the movie for the first time at a similar sort of age in my teen years, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. I think I know a lot of my friends liked it a lot. We talked about it a lot. It's a very easy movie to watch over and over again when you it have really that DVD. Is, yeah. Um, yeah, it's got a very sort of beguiling engaging world and you just want to spend time in it especially as a teenager you want to watch other teenagers um i love the soundtrack listen to that one repeat kind of thing and um so yeah it's very sort of yeah enduring relationship to it and then um yeah when you proposed this episode that you had a problem with it, i was very surprised because you know i think it still holds a special place in my childhood my teen years and then i think it's still a great movie um then revisiting it uh, the only version I could find was the director's cut. Um, so revisiting it, it was, I, I did learn a few things. It wasn't as amazing as I remembered, but I still think it's still worth respecting, unlike you. So you, you're saying you it's for the, like, the, the place that it had for you. That's what 
gives it that that it's like a time capsule um partly but i still think it holds up i still think it's a strong movie um i don't think it's aged badly or something i think you could still watch it today and still love it right um i i don't i I feel like it's it's so poorly made by richard kelly it was his first movie it was an indie film i don't know what the budget was but it yeah, it's a Sundance movie. Yeah, so budget um, four point five million. Uh, Richard Kelly, I believe, was twenty four when he made it, or something like that. In his in his which early twenties, yeah, which is incredible, yeah. But as a result of that, he just hasn't like he he just not he's just not competent as a filmmaker. Like the scenes are so like it's flatly staged. There's no nothing dynamic. There's no like deep staging. It's all just on one plane. The characters will just stand in a line. There's no like. There's no power between two characters as they sit or... Well, I mean... There's, there's nothing that... Just because some directors utilise that kind of staging doesn't mean that all directors do. I think it works fine on that level. And, you know, he wasn't the cinematographer. No, well, I, I get that, but you're just the scenes are just driven by the dialogue and nothing. there's nothing visual there at all. It's all, like, the sickening, sort of, like, depressing, moody, emo look that makes you think of those, like... It's like the video for in the shadows or like the the video for the the hoop stanks uh reason or something that you know that kind of early noughties i don't actually i don't know any of the things you just mentioned it's just like it's just like horrible like dark or evanescence or something it looks like it looks like it looks like the bring me to life video yeah but i think that's what makes it work it's this you know it's this, this cohesive world that you become a part of and it's 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 fascinating and i think that you know the sustained tone and vibe that you're describing works fair yeah i mean i i don't feel like it's a vibe it's not a vibe like dazed and confused has a vibe you know because that's a similar hangout movie i think you could sort of call this a hangout definitely movie. yeah i think that's part of the rewatchability yeah. yeah um like there are a lot of characters here and they're all there's like interplay and as you say they're all played really well but just they don't talk about anything interesting. There's unlike in Days of Confused, it's so like you're giving me a real evil. Um, yeah, in Days of Confused, it's very like mundane, like day to day dialogue, but it's just sort of compelling because of I don't know. It just it just feels like life, and Donnie Darko doesn't. It feels like it's just it's like a a teenager's like creative writing course that just scribbles on a page it's so um i think it still works i think it is trying to achieve like this profoundness profundity profundity that's a word um but i think it does do that in a convincing way um i think on this rewatch i thought it was really interesting that the gretchen ross jenna malone character is always striving to see the good and she always want to create these perfect moments and i feel like that's a very idealistic teenage thing she talks about how she wants her first kiss to be she talks about um, this invention where you give infants like these images to help improve their memory of like pleasant images to help them, I guess, grow. Um, but she, so she, yeah, she wants to create this perfect world, and I feel like yeah, that's a great teenage idealistic thing that's explored well in this movie with her. So yeah, you're saying it's not mundane, but it's, but I think it does that well. Like I, it does achieve a truth. I, it uh, yeah. Okay. It, yeah. It, but it, but it, like. Maybe it's something like um, Catcher in the Rye, where like that's a book that when you read when you're 13, you're like, oh my god, I'm just like this guy. And then when you read it when you're a bit older, you're like, Jesus Christ, this person's awful. And then you read it again later on, and you're like, oh, I was that guy. Yeah. 
Like maybe it's sort of like that, but it doesn't have any of the class. And I think that the lack of style, like you might say that it's just a directing choice to be really bland, but <laughs> I didn't say that. I don't think it is bland. I just it, there's just nothing going on, like in terms in the filmmaking at all. It's I don't know. I think it's got a very evocative. Um, sort of mise-en-scene you know you feel like you're in this suburb you feel like you're in this I think it's a catholic school you feel like you're there with this this in the space yeah it's got good production design I I can't like but but then every time it's it's reaching for anything more ambitious than just like scenes that are playing out between characters shot in this dull way then it, it comes across like bad versions of other filmmakers to me like, I really feel like it's like doing David Lynch badly, especially in the dream scenes. The dream sequences, yeah, um, yeah. Some of the CGI is questionable, um, but I don't know. Then you know, it's cool to be nostalgic for the early noughties and that kind of CGI and that kind of dreamlike thing. I yeah, but I I, I don't mind bad CGI. I realize that's like part of the. Oh yeah, I know that's part of the the time, but it's actually the content. You've got them sitting in a movie theatre watching, st- you know, stuff that. What what is it that comes out of the movie screen again? What the what the film they're watching? Yeah. they're watching the Evil Dead. They're watching the Evil Dead, but then doesn't it like interact with them in some way? But he sees the wormhole in the yes. screen, and that's like something. This that's like a Lynchian like image. Like you'd see like the Mulholland Drive, like um, Silencio Club Silencio thing is a similar scene where. The two people I've realised wearing a, a David Lynch t-shirt, and I feel like an asshole. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional. It really wasn't. But yeah, he's no. wearing a Mulholland Drive t-shirt. Just so you know, I thought maybe yeah, that was an intentional. I'm a oh, you thought that was like a a microaggression? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. God, I'm a fuckboy. <laughs> Judge fuckboy. Damn it. Anyway, look. We'll pretend I'm not wearing a t-shirt. I'm wearing a I'm wearing a button-down <laughs> white shirt. Okay, very pure. It's a pure shirt. Anyway, um, in that it, it it's the same kind of scene where there's this interaction with like this sort of surrealist thing on stage mm-hmm. and this separation between that and your your sort of identifying characters in Donny or in the Naomi Watts character in mm-hmm. Mohan Drive, and it. It's 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 just like the same thing, but done like like a cheap imitation. Because in Mulholland Drive, there's all these layers of like symbolism, and it drives the film forward in a way that's not just not just like oh the stakes are more escalated now. It's actually like giving you another level to watch the, what happens on or, or think about what you've seen before. And it, nothing in Donnie Darko does that. It's just like plummets towards this conclusion, which is a neat idea. But doesn't I don't know? It doesn't. There's nothing else to it than that. I I kind of grant that it's nice to live in that world if if you get on with that world. Mm-hmm. But if if it's not, I don't know, because because the style doesn't work for me. It it's um yeah. There's there's not not much there. I feel like though you do you do notice more things when you rewatch it. It's a classic sort of cult mystery movie where you know you rewatch it and you notice these clues and these things that build. But what what are they building to? Um, well, I feel like in the theatrical cut there is this ambiguity of what 
Frank means, of whether Donnie's crazy, of what what's happening, what's what's even happening in this film, and uh, so it's, yeah, is it like is he just crazy? Is this real? And you're kind of like following through that, and then you notice these clues. I think when you rewatch it, but but, but yeah. So what does Frank mean? Like, what does any of it mean? Like, is it does it just serve a mystery story, or is there? something else there um, at all because well, I, so I feel like that's that's what's lacking okay well i so on the in the movie level it's kind of functioning as this sci-fi uh existential thing mm. but then you can kind of read into it these things of you know fatalism destiny i guess maybe even religion and yeah like those things are like free will and those choices and you, you know you can do that in your everyday life not just in a when a rabbit is forcing you to think about it but these are all like such like broad themes that are just they're, they're only talked about in this like teenage way or it's like whoa Sartre oh no that was in the, the box <laughs> which, which we'll get, get to we'll get to the box yeah. Um, but yeah well you know maybe the perp- the way Donnie Darko functions is to get teenagers into movies you say people find it on the IMDb top 250 I mean you know that is a great list of movies and you can't just start sure. in like you know, you got to start with the canon. You got to start with the uh, accessible kind of movies that present these ideas, and then you can explore more. You know, it's still a great list of movies. It's still a great film, and you know, you get a lot of teenagers into reading a movie that way. That's yeah. I think that's a really good point to bring up. Like, is it is it is it worth letting it off the hook if it brings kids into movies more? But then does it, or does it just lock people into? the same like few like twist movies and that's all that they'll search for i feel like a lot of um like people are always when people are getting into cinema they're always looking for like thrillers and like things that will like grab them in a certain way and i feel like that's based off of these kind of your american psychos and your and your donnie darkos or requiem for a dream it's like another one of those i feel okay do you know is that a weird like grouping of movies to you like um, yeah, I mean, the psychological thrillers of the early no- the noughties and the 90s, I, I I don't know. It's hard for me to hate them, you know, because, you know, you get into movies through them, especially, I guess, for our generation. Um, I, I know, I definitely, I don't hate the others. <laughs> it's just Tony Darko. I've, like, American Psycho's a great movie, and Reckon for Dreams got that Ellen Burstyn performance, which is amazing. This, this just does nothing. Uh, yeah, so... You love the acting in this film. How do you feel about Jake Gyllenhaal? Is this his first movie? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Um, definitely a breakout role. Um, on rewatching it, I did find... I didn't find his performance as great as I remember. I mean, it's still, like, a very iconic role and performance, so you can't... There's a lot... There's a lot there. But I did feel like maybe this isn't his strongest performance and probably not the strongest performance in the movie. Um, but yeah, you know, he's still an iconic character that I love and it's very interesting. And then his career, um, you know, what, did he, what else did he get up to? So was the next big film for him like Jarhead? He's just, he's, he's an interesting career, I think. So he followed Donnie Darko up. Uh, no, same year that Donnie Darko was released, there was another um, movie with an alliterative title, Bubble Boy. Bubble Boy! Oh, the best general performance? I haven't actually seen it. But... It's pretty funny, you know. It's... Okay, oh yeah, he had been in a few things before. Lovely and Amazing, is that uh, 
uh, Nicole Holofsner. And then his, I guess his next big one was The Day After Tomorrow, by which point everyone knew who Gyllenhaal was. And I guess by then, Donnie Darko, had, the cult of that had really sort of existed. And then you've got Brokeback Mountain, Proof and Jarhead in the same year. So that was like three oscar movies. Um, and then his finest performance in Zodiac. Um, he just always seems to me like this guy that is searching to have like really, to really like push himself, but he always does it in sort of mid-tier movies rather than, I don't know, he's worked with a lot of different filmmakers, mm-hmm. but he never seems to work with them on the film where they're at their peak. And I don't know what, what's going on there, but do you, what do you think? Well, no, I just, yeah, I think he's an exciting actor. He's got a great reputation, but I feel like, you know, he, do, he usually delivers, um, Tony Darko is, is a good performance and then he only improves after then. It's easy on the eyes. <laughs> I feel like I just see him trying too much. That's yeah. what I mean. I see, see him like always really reaching. Um, I guess I did sort of enjoy him in Okja, but like that was a kind of bad performance, right? And um, I don't know, stuff like Prisoners. I feel like Prisoners is like the example where it's like that film is like begging for like... A reputation. So you're saying he's Leonardo DiCaprio. He's trying too hard to win that Oscar. He's thirstier than DiCaprio. DiCaprio <laughs> only became super thirsty with uh, The Revenant. Like before, then he was just doing a lot of films and pushing himself. But Gyllenhaal has been like thirsting after that Oscar since Brokeback. I think. But, but I don't yeah. have this animosity against him. But I mean, yeah, this is about your animosity against him. No, I'm not animal. Uh, no, well, maybe, maybe I am. I'll, I'll watch him in a movie. Like I'm not sending. We're not sending him to movie jail today. Gyllenhaal's not on trial. But um, he, he. I think people, people overrate him. People seem to think that he's in that like first class of actors, and I don't. I don't know. I think he is. Well, he's almost there. I, you know, Nightcrawler. That I don't know. I felt really excited by that film when it came out again, and it's like. But everything on that is surface level. Yeah. Including his performance. It's just like, yeah. I'm going to be like this sociopath. and. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, you know, I appreciate that he's trying. He's still going to give us something interesting. You know, Nightcrawler might might have been a little bit overrated, but it was still an interesting movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's always interesting. Yeah. That's the, yeah. He, you'll get there. He's, he's listened to this, obviously. Yeah. He's in well, court today. Yeah, I mean, I want to see the uh, the David O. Russell cut of Accidental Love that we'll never get. Yeah, so that that came out, right, in America? It did come out, and it was, I think, an incomplete cut um, where David O. Russell didn't finish. I think maybe they didn't yet finish shooting, or it's not a complete cut, and then they sort of scrambled it together. I mean, I think that's probably going to be Jessica Biel's greatest performance, that we'll never full, <laughs> see the full, complete version. But we've got got a cut of it. You're saying next with Nicolas Cage is not the greatest. I guess he's got the Sisters Brothers coming out. That that should be interesting. Yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, you know, he's a very diverse, talented guy. He can do comedy. He can do angst. He can do a weight loss role. He can do. He can be scary. He can be charming. You know, he's he's very. He's, he's got a lot of feathers in his bow. But yet, none of these movies have like really hit. Maybe not with you, but you know, these a lot of them have been Oscar nominated. A lot of them have been very. Has he had another film that's on that broke-back level, though? Okay, yeah, if, if, if you accept that, that that's a really popular movie, I don't think he's got another, like, really... He, his brand has remained, like, his, or his stock's been huge, even while the movies haven't been, like, 
received on the same. Like, no one's still talking about life. You know? That's true. I don't know if that's his fault, though. But you're right. Sure. He really plays like a soft boy in this movie as well. What's the bit where he's like, oh, yeah, he's talking to Jenna Malone and he's like, oh, once I. I, I burned down a house by accident, but now I'm just trying to paint and be. I'm just yeah. good. To, yeah, it's like dude is like. I hate him. <laughs> I hate this movie. I oh, it's so awful. I feel like it's tied to you hate that you used to identify with him. I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't think I identified with him. But I de- yeah, I definitely thought it was like a really creative movie. I think I identified with the movie as a whole. And felt like that was art. Yeah. And now I... Yeah, so, so you think I resent myself. Yeah. Um, it's not like you've grown up a little bit to where you recognise that maybe, you know, your your flaws are when you're younger, but you haven't grown up enough to appreciate them. All right, ordering court. Order, <laughs> I'm not on trial here. Um, I think that the... Another thing that I don't like about this is the like nostalgia bait of the 80s setting and I feel like this is an early example of what then becomes the uh, the the, the um, Super 8 Stranger Things I feel Mystery like that choice me. from Richard Kelly isn't that cynical you know he wanted to recreate his childhood or he wanted to recreate his teen years so he wanted to do it authentically so he chose to set it in the 80s in, same with the box, you know, he wanted to faithfully recreate his childhood, so he said it in the seventies. Um, so I don't feel like that's a cynical choice in the way that Stranger Things but or other films like that are. Like cynical on his part, he still like led to it. No, I do. I think too much time has passed between Donnie Darko and Stranger Things to say that that's an influence on nostalgia on the nostalgia problem of the of our generation. No. And also, yeah, I think um, there's, uh, in Scott Tobias's article for AV Club, the new cult canon, which he talks about the use of the soundtrack, you know, it's easy to have these nostalgic needle drops, but when um, these songs come on in Donnie Darko, you know, it's not, it's not just about, oh, I recognise that, it's more about, it does have this, like, sustained melancholy, so it's not just about recognition it's sort of like it does create this like cohesive sort of feeling of, sort of dread and pain and loss and wistfulness through, just through that soundtrack you know it's not he's not just choosing 80s classics oh, but it's just depressing i just like but that's what's so great about it you know this unrelenting depression and gloom you know that's what the, it's what it's what it's like to be a teenager i think it's great so that kind of captures that and people relate to that yeah i'm trying to like i i I feel like that's all well and good, but it it does it misses any other it it doesn't have anything else there, mm-hmm. and like, and I feel like because it tries to justify Donnie's character at the end, mm-hmm. I think that's the flaw. If if the movie acknowledged that he was a twat and that he needed to grow up, mm-hmm. then you you'd it it would function as a critique of that or at least like a exploration of it rather than just a complete indulgence in that kind of mindset okay yeah because at the end he is the most important person in the world mm-hmm. and that's it that validates that teenage feeling okay. of being the the only yeah. person that exists so yeah so so 
I don't, I don't know. Do you... No, I do sort of. I see what you're saying, and I, I kind of agree to an extent. Um, don't know. I don't know how you'd improve that, though. I guess how would you include that in that movie? Well, it would just be part of the ending. Is him? In, I don't know. Just the, the whole like gesture of like you have to like kill yourself to to save everyone else. It's just like yeah, it's just indulgent, isn't it? Um, and and I think that's that's what's harmful about it, and that's you can grow out of it though. He did, so you know. Yeah, but the, but that doesn't make the film good. Like the the film has to have more maturity, I think, to 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 fully like be a piece about that. Yeah, rewatching it this time, I did think a lot about other movies that have this similar thing, and it's interesting with Donnie Darko how it's just scene after scene of Donnie Donnie saying something very cynical and like he's the smartest man in the room and people keep validating that like his his teacher says your test scores are intimidating and um, when he takes down Patrick Swayze's like presentation you get a shot of Jenna Malone smiling really proudly and it is interesting the way it is you're right it's just validating this Donnie character over and over again Um, and I was kind of made me think about the volume where I don't know this like the that kind of cynicism I don't know, in Pump Up the Volume, you've got all these kids who are saying these things, and it's like, but they're right, there is something wrong, and like... I, I don't know Pump Up the Volume. Yeah. Okay. Um, what would... I'm trying to think of, like, a, another film that might... Like, high school... Like... I feel like in Heathers, which I think is the best high school movie ever made, uh, Veronica... Is like smarter and out and outsider and causes all this trouble, but and even though she ends up on top at the end, it's still like fully critiqued her throughout the movie, and like she's had to examine her position and her like social status mm-hmm. and how she's affected everyone around her way more than because in Donnie Darko he does that, but it's just oh, uh, it's just so melodramatic. It's just like oh well, then I must die, like, mm-hmm. and that's not helpful. I don't think at that age it's like. Okay. Yeah. It's. Well, how do you, th- do you, do you, no, you think? Yeah, it's a valid like comparison, or? Yeah. No. Definitely. Yeah. Um. What else? Um. Uh, no, that's an unfair comparison. There's loads of eyes in this movie, right? Like, uh, Frank gets shot in the eye. Mm-hmm. He's like showing off the eye. Donnie's got the poster of the eye on his wall. Mm-hmm. And I remember you think of Chinatown, how that like establishes the eye theme really well with um, Evelyn, with Faye Dunaway. Yeah. Um, and that's like a recurring motif within the film where um, uh, Jack Nicholson's headlight gets shot, so he's like chasing one eye down the road. And it, it, it's like throughout that movie, and it's just I don't know. I I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just it's just another thing that I was like. This, isn't doing it well like just the motifs don't come together in this uh i think another have you ever seen primer shane Carruth's movie yeah um i feel like they're quite similar okay. both came out of sundance both considered was sort of impenetrable uh i uh how does it why how, how else does it compare to johnny darko well, primer yeah i guess they're both films that try and take a scientific look 
uh, um, I'm doing air quotes if you can hear that on the podcast uh, that that try and be realistic-ish about uh, time travel and Primer uses a really strange structure to um, to lead the viewer down the garden path mm-hmm. and Donnie Darko similarly doesn't reveal everything in its perspective in the, the, actual in the yeah, yeah I guess yeah, yeah. um uh, I guess maybe some of the criticisms you have of Donnie Darker I would apply to Primer um, even more so because Shane Carruth, you know, stars as the lead. Um, is it uncritical of that character? Um, is it? I guess it is a worthy pursuit to try and be that impenetrable. It's like it's certainly in a movie experience, mm-hmm. which is cool. Yeah, well, so you don't like how impenetrable? No, I love it. I think it's great. But I mean, you know, there's that pretension there. Yeah, definitely. It's... Yeah, Primer's like almost too much, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, and it, I almost like give it, or like let it get away with being so difficult because I love how cheap it was and and how resourceful it is in the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that a fair? I don't, I, I don't know. This is, I guess, Primer's not on trial, but maybe it should be. Um, nah, it's great. Nah. I read a great IMDb trivia bit where Patrick Swayze wore his own clothes from the 80s. Which <laughs> is lovely detail. Um, yeah, I feel like part of, you know, so there's this sort of thing where Drew Barrymore sort of rescued it from a straight-to-video release with her production company. Um, and Patrick Swayze, you know, wore his own clothes from the 80s. Mary McDonald paid, was paid scale. I feel like there's a lot of love behind this movie and you can see that sort of it's very really exciting that all of this was put into the movie because they believed it, and then it comes out as this eventual success. There is, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's really distinctive, much as it's not a, yeah. So I'm trying to be complimentary and not like qualify it with a bad thing. But, no, I know. I'm yeah. surprised you're calling it distinctive. It is. It is. It's you know what? What do you? Well, it's because earlier you said it's bland. The, the I find I think the filmmaking's wrote, but the. The, the like as an artifact it's its own thing okay. is that f- fair yeah um so a labor of love much like richard kelly's other movies uh so you're more familiar with you you've gone the whole full full hog on you've gone hog wild on <laughs> On Richard Kelly, right? Um, so yeah, so I've seen um, Richard Kelly's, Kelly's other movies. Um. So he made Southland Tales in 2007. That was a hugely controversial when it premiered at Cannes because it was a was it an unfinished cut, so, yeah. and people were really upset with it because it's even more difficult to follow than Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that eventually came out in a different version mm-hmm. that has its supporters. Yeah, no, I think I'm, I'm one of them. You know, I saw it and I was amazed. It's it's more ambitious than Donnie Darko, but it kind of follows on. Um, I guess also its release, you know, it's coming off of Donnie Darko, which was this eventual success. Um, and also there's so much interest in the mysteries of Donnie Darko. He creates something even more ambitious with an even bigger cast, with even more sci-fi, like is it more foregrounded in Southland Tales and... Uh, it is a fascinating kind of it's a fascinating movie. I think it's great. It I think I think the satire works better in 
Southwark. There's, there's hints of satire in Donnie Darko with the references to the Dukakis Bush um, presidential election and other like bits like the, I feel, feel like the sparkle motion. Yeah, it's Patrick Swayze. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, it, that's sort of there in Southland Tales. He's really foregrounding that with uh, what have you got? Like, a, is it an ex wrestler that's president and the porn star that's? It's been so long since I've watched it. Is the porn star president? No. Pornstar's going to save the world, and but it's it's using all this pop culture stuff and uh, in a sort of apocalyptic version of uh, America, which you might even say has come to life. I said that badly, but um, yeah, it reminds me of like Idiocracy. It's like a serious version of Idiocracy. Mm-hmm. I think the Justin Timberlake scene where he's dancing to the Killers is like amazing. Yeah. It's it's yeah, I think that's that's his best movie, right? I'd have to rewatch it. I mean, it's it's definitely fascinating. Yeah, it does. It doesn't like hang together, but it's yeah. it's got so much there that yeah. And then he sort of was trying to make one for them with the box. Mm-hmm. I feel that was supposed to be one to get back on the studio's good side, and he just couldn't help but make that. It starts off as a very like straightforward sci-fi that slowly yeah. becomes weirder and weirder. In the second half, I was surprised to find it turn into Southland Tales. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did you feel about The Box, which is based on a Twilight Zone episode? I guess I'm... I mean, Richard Kelly's a kind of complicated figure. I guess I am happy because he's got so few movies and I do kind of think even if they kind of vary in quality, there's always something there. So I enjoyed The Box, though I was... You know, I kind of wanted more from it, but um, yeah, you know, you've got James Marsden in the lead role with more leading character, which is great. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it could have been better, but you know, it's yeah. it's a Richard Keller movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of all. Yeah, that's all you can say about it, right? Um, yeah, I'm not sure I've got anything to add. So. Well, you you just watched it, I so did, yeah. how do you feel fresh from from the um, box? Um, so I did just I've just come out of the box. Uh, I feel like talking about Richard Kelly, talking about Donnie Darko's throwing me off of of it. But um, yeah, it's quite compelling, and it's got this sort of uh, Russia like Cold War stuff going through it that I thought was going to be more prominent than it turns out to be when it's just spoilers for the box. Hey, are we spoiling the box? All right. Okay. Um, what were you gonna say? Um, it's the alien. Well, the alien kind of aspects of it sure. is like is a bit easy. I felt, mm-hmm. and so that was a shame because it it kind of there's all these directions at first that you think it's going off in, mm-hmm. and it's like oh it could be any of these or maybe it won't be any of them. and it's just aliens and that's kind of like I feel like so I felt like uh, the first out of the box to me was quite circular with this kind of suburban yeah. undercurrent. Um, and then the second half is this ridiculous alien conspiracy, which was more like Southland Tales. I can't remember if aliens in Southland Tales, but it feels feels similar. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the fact that it is aliens is part of it. Like maybe it's not it's not quite an homage to fifties B movies, but I feel like that's part of its like its DNA. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, obviously it's been Richard Matheson story, but. Um... I guess it's the the this this like as you're saying comparing it to Cirque, like this this kind of social critiques just was so much more on point I think in the first half and it abandons that for the 
the more thrillery aspects mm-hmm. and the constant twists and characters flying out of nowhere. It's a lot of fun. It was, I, I, yeah, kind of enjoyed it more than I expected. But mm-hmm. um, and I'd I'd happily see another movie from him or watch him do he should get, do like a director some TV episodes or something. Because he's got some in there. I don't know. He's got an energy. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think of the Sharita Chen character? It's the Asian girl that has a crush on Donnie, um, who is mocked for pronouncing "shut up" as "shut up, shut up." Oh yeah. And then she performs in the talent show, and it's very sincere, and everyone's kind of supportive. But it's because they feel sorry for her rather than because she's actually talented. Um, and yeah, I thought it was weird. So everyone makes fun of her for saying "shut up." But then she has a scene where she speaks with an American accent. As, so she's like growing up in America. And it's like this weird inconsistency of like, well, we're going to make. I guess, yeah, maybe I didn't really think about that character before. Um, but now it sort of sticks out to me more. I guess in terms of like, especially sort of representation, the more I think about it in the past, that was kind of like, you know, one of the few Asian female characters that I would have seen. So I definitely thought about her a lot. But it's weird that that would be the only sort of representation I think of. Yeah. Seth Rogen's in it. Seth Rogen is there, yeah. His, that's his, that is his movie debut. Um, Rich Kelly gets actors early in their career, I feel, because yeah. there's also um, Gillian Jacobs from Community is in. She the is, block. yeah. Um, and that must have been the year before Community, probably. So mm-hmm. he's got he does have a talent for casting. Oh, yeah, we've said this cast of Donnie Darko is great. I think he definitely gets a great performance out of everyone. Welcome back to the courthouse, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I've been deliberating. It's this was a tough one to think about because I kind of have to. The judge has to place the judge's um, feelings aside to to an extent to allow for the fact that this does have a, a a place in modern cinema. It is it is clearly a cult movie that means a lot to a lot of people, including our cinema attorney who's argued with. Um, vehement passion today um so donnie darko is going down on one count of very poor filmmaking and childish filmmaking but it was also found not guilty of having a unfounded cult reputation because this does it does it does speak to a lot of people for whatever reason i'm not going to judge anymore but um, yeah, is that? Do you, do you... What's the sentence? Um, so I'm. Oh God! Wait. Uh, I'm sentenced to. Wait. How long until the world ends? Twenty-eight days. I'm sending it to twenty-eight days, six hours, forty-two minutes, eight seconds, eight seconds um, in movie jail, and we'll see if the world's ended after that. Court adjourned. So there we have it. The judge has uh, made his decision on Donnie Darko. Um, I feel like I've made, made a little pushback with you, I hope. 
Um, but yeah, I guess the the controversial case of Donnie Darko there. I'm less angry than when we started. Let's... Okay, good. I feel like maybe you just had to let some of that angst out. My teenage Maybe you angst. haven't grown up as much as you thought. Yeah, yeah. it's still in there. I'm going to lock myself in my room and listen to OK Computer and some Elliot Smith now. I like the Donnie Darko soundtrack. I don't need to be angry rather than like melancholy. Yeah, I'm just on a nostalgia kick. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Going to read on the road and, I don't know, smoke a pow mow and see how I feel. <laughs> But anyway, that's that's for the judge to think about. Uh, so, uh, what have we got coming up next week? So next week, uh, we're going to be looking at the Terminator movies. Ben loves Terminator. What Ben loves the Terminator. The Terminator. The Terminator. I'm a big fan of Terminator Two. We're going to battle it out. Battle. We're going to battle it out. And uh, if you want to get in touch before then, you can see us at Judge Movie on Twitter. No, you can't. You can find us at Judge Movie Pod on Twitter or Judge Movie Pod on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you've got any comments, any disagreements with the judge's verdict. Uh, get in touch. Yeah. Or any thoughts about the, the Terminator movies, the first one and the second one. Which one do you like? The, the Terminator. No, I was talking to the audience. Yeah, they, the Terminator. We'll get to it. Yeah. We'll get there next week. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So obviously, you need to rewatch Terminator One and Two, and Terminator Three, and Terminator Genesis, and Terminator Salvation. Do I really? I don't know about that. Do I? Do I... What? Sometimes I doubt your commitment to judge movie. Donnie Darko quote. Thank you. <laughs> um. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. Uh, we won't see you. We'll speak to you next week. We'll hear you. You'll hear us. Don't don't hear us. We'll hear you. No, that's definitely... No, they should say that. Don't hear you. You'll hear us. Doesn't... Goodbye. (laughs)